Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and glad that you are here today as we're taking a look at uh, this hour, uh, America, making a look at our liberty and justice for all and opportunities for people. And, you know, we're getting geared up. Uh, it's a long weekend for a lot of people, I realize. So the Independence Day coming up on 4th of July, which is this coming Tuesday, uh, how many people are uh, <laughs> how many people are looking forward to just getting out of town? Right, enjoying the holiday and celebrating as you will. Now, some people are going to be celebrating Independence Day, uh, the date the America's uh, the American founders, if you will, declared independence from England. Other people are going to celebrate the Fourth of July. Um, I maintain that the best way to celebrate American independence is to celebrate American independence and emancipation, and that, of course, is to celebrate July Fourth as the day that the founders said we're declaring our independence from England. And then June 19th is the day that we finally let every slave in America know that they had actually been free for two and a half years, and it took a while for the news to travel. I mean, that's just, if you're looking for an explanation as to why so many people wanted Juneteenth to be a national holiday, that's it. And um, basically that kind of wind up, winds up being, you know, the uh, it, it, we're not all free until all of us are free, you know, mentality. During that time after Juneteenth, of course, it took 99 years for the Civil Rights Act to pass and the Voting Rights, Civil Rights Act of 64, Voting Rights Act of 1965. But then, you know, we get to the point where here we are in 2023 and we have enacted so much legislation to try to make things better for people. And you begin to realize, if you're a Christian especially, that the hearts of people are wicked, um, evil. Uh, apart from Christ, there's no uh, redemption for us whatsoever. And yet, we still keep operating sometimes in this country as if, well, if we just get the laws right, then people's hearts are going to change. People's hearts are going to, you know, we're, we're all just going to make it, you know, we'll, we'll make better decisions. And it's heartbreaking. I mean, it really is. I see people, especially in the Christian community, because first and foremost, I mean, the, the gospel is clear. The good news of the gospel, of course, is that we're in a sinful, fallen people living in a sinful, fallen world. And the only way we can find any sort of salvation is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, death on the cross, resurrection for the grave. And so if we are really going to live as Christians, then we are to fulfill the great commission after receiving the great you know, commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. The great commission, of course, is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every tribe and tongue, baptize those who receive it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we think about the ways that we can do that outside of the church, outside the walls of the church, of course. But let's make sure that we also take care of those who are inside. And what I mean by that is there are a lot of people that are in your family, a lot of people who go to your church, a lot of people who are in your community. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, too, who really have never heard the true gospel. And there's a reason. One of the things I love about the Lutheran church is the, the fact that the Lutheran church commitment as Martin Luther, the founder of the church, inadvertent founder, it's not like he set out to set his own denomination. He wanted the church, the Catholic church, for which he was uh, studying to be a priest, to get back to what he saw were more biblical basis. And uh, he wound up launching a protest or a Protestant reformation simply because the Catholic church's response was, you're fired. You know, they kicked him out of seminary and basically excommunicated him from the church. And we could do a whole week of stories on, you know, issues in the Catholic Church, a couple of pivot points that, that may be leading a lot of Catholics astray. And, you know, it's important for all of us as Christians to sharpen iron, as Scripture says, and to understand, make sure we've got the whole story straight. But when it comes to legislating morality, as it were, um, there's a misnomer in the culture, I believe, that we're finally starting to wake up to, and that is we cannot pass enough laws to make people good. We cannot pass enough legislation to make people, quote unquote, do the right thing. And, you know, it, it's interesting because when I think about outreaches to the homeless, for example, people who are uh, going through seasons of hunger or whatever. By the way, uh, when it comes to people who are experiencing homelessness or experiencing hunger, as they say, uh, you know, we used to be able to measure poverty in some pretty tangible ways. People who didn't have a place to live, people who didn't have access to health care, people who didn't have enough food to eat. And now, have you noticed that the lines have blurred a little bit? I mean, the number of people who are truly homeless is very difficult to count because a lot of these people want to uh, glide under the radar. But in a nation of 335 million people, the fact that we have like a half a million homeless people that we are accountable for right now, it's a lot of homeless people. But, I mean, either we have way more and we're just not counting them that way, or 
do the math. I mean, 500,000 people in a country of 335 million don't have a place that they to say that's pretty remarkable. And notice, too, the, the, when it comes to the food issue, this is just something that I've, I've noticed because I pay attention to words maybe a little more closely than the average bear, uh, and especially in the way they're used. But have you noticed that we've gotten away from starvation and uh, you know food shortages and things like that, and now we've re- rebranded that as food insecurity? Now, what's interesting about that phrase is when it comes to food insecurity, just about everybody I know at some point in life has gone through a season where they wondered, okay, what am I going to eat tomorrow or today or tonight? We used to call that college, right? Or, or you know, newly married or saving to buy a house. A seriously, true story. Um, I was, dear friends of mine were going through a, a very challenging season. One of them had a health issue and we were just kind of, we were having dinner one day. Um, reminiscing about the early days of marriage because uh, my uh, first wife and I had gotten married about the same time this couple did, so our kids are about the same age. And I remember uh, her looking at me, the wife and the couple, looking at me across the table at this restaurant. We were just eating pasta and just having a good time. And she said, you know, I remember those days when he and I would work split shifts. Like I would work mornings and then he'd work nights so we didn't have to worry about daycare. But then literally where we intersected was my night shift or day shift ended in just enough time for us to come home, grab a bite together, and then, you know, he would head off to work. And she said, I remember those nights. The boys never knew about it, but uh, that where we would look at each other and we would just, we'd ask, okay, who's going to eat tonight? Because things were so tight. We had enough, we, we had growing boys and we needed to make sure they had enough food. And so it literally got down to where we, we would just take turns. And I thought, wow, that's really, that's a heavy sacrifice. Well, by today's standards, they would be called food insecure and the federal government would be running in to try to give them aid. They just called it a young family who were saving for a condo or their first home or whatever it was they were trying to buy and money was tight. So when I see the problems in the culture, I mean, again, not that I don't have a heart for people who are experiencing homelessness. I've known people you have too, uh, extended family, you know, who've lived in a car for a season or whatever because it's, it's, about all they could afford. But the question is not so much whether or not we recognize the issue. The question is, what do we do to address the issue? Take, for example, a business owner right here in San Diego. Uh, Kate Monroe is the business owner in question. And uh, she asked the question about a rather controversial plan that the San Diego Housing Commission announced uh, that happened back in April. The commission planned to buy three extended-stay America suite hotels to house more than 400 homeless individuals. In May, the commission agreed to apply for uh, more state funds to purchase a fourth hotel, which was the 63-room Ramada Inn in the city's Midway District. Now, it's nice to think of buying up an older hotel No one wants to stay there as much. It's not as popular as it used to be. And saying, this is going to be our solution for homelessness. I remember reading about this Catholic advocacy group when the unaccompanied minors thing was a big deal maybe 10 years ago. And they were asking for for federal money to take over a resort that was in, I think, Galveston, Texas or something. And it had pools and sauna and really nice uh, rooms, etc. It was about 100 beds, maybe 200. And they wanted like $20 million dollars. And I thought, that's crazy. I mean, there comes a point where you ask the question, I mean, you don't want to try to put a dollar amount on somebody's life, but you ask the question, how much will um, this actually cost us and will it do the good that we're trying to accomplish? In the case of Kate Monroe, uh, she gave an an interview to Fox News in San Diego and asked the question as to whether or not this was a good idea to buy these four hotels. She said, look, they're trying to clean up a little bit of the people and get them out of the public's vision so these elected officials can just get voted back in. They're not really digging down on the root of the problem. And I think she may have a point because the problem here is that they're trying to uh, house more than 400 homeless people. They've purchased four hotels now to do that. Um, They're spending $158 million dollars to buy the three extended stay America suites and another $18 million in state money to purchase the fourth hotel. So if you do the per unit cost on what they're getting for their $176 million, it works out to, are you ready for this? 
the per unit cost per person because they have to remodel every room. Every room has to have a kitchen. They've got to have the proper bathroom. It's got to become like a studio apartment. It's going to wind up costing in state and federal funds about $400,000 per person to get 400 homeless people off the street in San Diego. Question remains, is that the American dream? Is that the American model? Is that the way that the America that you understand and I understand is supposed to work? Well, we'll keep you posted on how this is playing out uh, at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, though, as we get into our 4th of July Independence Day conversation, I'm going to invite an expert to join me uh, by the name of Mark Burrell. Mark has written a fascinating book called Rediscovering the American Covenant, the Roadmap to Restore America. It's interesting to think about how the American Covenant, you know, much maligned as it were, uh, as it is today, um, really does have a biblical foundation to it. I realize you can get into arguments all you want about, uh, you know, Native Americans and mistreatment of other people, and that's true. I mean, we're a flawed people, and we've kind of made a shambles of what the founders actually intended on July 4th, 1776. But now America is in decline, and the question we have to ask is, can we reestablish what the founding fathers and established in the principles there uh, without using the biblical roadmap, if you will? Mark Burrell has this book that we're going to talk about today and give away copies of at the end of our conversation. So I'll give you the uh, heads up now to start dialing in. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, Mark Burrell talking about rediscovering the American covenant and the roadmap to restoring America. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, few people would argue that America is going through a, a bit of a crisis and it appears to be in moral decline right now. Question is, how do we fix it? I mean, this is kind of like, uh, for lack of a better expression, and maybe I'm I, you know, identifying too much with West Coast, where you've got dust and leaves and whatever on the patio and you pull out a broom and you try to you know, brush it off and dust kicks up and then you take out a hose and you try to, you know, hose it off. But for every part that you get off the edge of the uh, patio, more water piles up somewhere else and creates a bigger problem. And so how do we get to the point where we can rediscover the American covenant and restore uh, America? Well, joining me today here on the program is a very special guest who has a book on this very subject. Uh, Mark Burrell is with me today here on The Bottom Line, uh, who grew up in the Episcopal Church, accepted Christ as a young man, uh, went to Penn State University and survived university life still as a Christian young man. Uh, he and his wife, Charlene, uh, have been married for over 40 years. Um, he relocated to Mason, where you as a teacher right now, and he teaches about this very, I mean, this is a guy who studies systematic theology, and he teaches about America and America's Christian heritage. Mark Burrell, welcome to the Bottom Line Show today. Roger, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. The book we've got up at thebottomlineshow.com is called Rediscovering the American Covenant, Roadmap to Restore America. I know a lot of people say, I would love to make America great again. I'd love to restore us to our, our former glory. I think maybe the big question, Mark, is where do we pick as the spot where we're supposed to, you know, where, what are we restoring back to? Is it better for us to say, let's kind of take a look at the guts of the arrangement and move forward? How do you define restoring America? Where do we do that? Yeah, so the book is about what I assert is our most, most important founding document, which is actually not the Constitution. The Constitution's our operating document. It's very important mm -hmm. to all your listeners. Uh, but, but actually, the document that's most important mm -hmm. is our founding covenant, which is the Declaration of Independence. Right. And that's the document that really describes our founding principles, this idea that there's a law of nature and of nature's God, which is a direct reference to the moral law as known by either conscience, which is the phrase law of nature, or the Ten Commandments, the moral law, which mm -hmm. is the of nature's God portion. And in the book, by the way, I have all the quotes to, you know, to back up what I'm saying mm -hmm. here. Uh, and then in the second paragraph, they define what the key principles are with respect to civil government, which is that we have God-given inalienable rights, among mm -hmm. them life. And that comes first in the Bible from Genesis 9, uh, verses five and six. This is where God first says, I demand an accounting for the shedding of innocent blood. And what he's saying here is that we have a right to life. Right. And then liberty, 
liberty is this idea that you have a right to your opinions, to, to have them and to express them. That's religious liberty. Civil liberty has to do with property, being able to manage property, including your body, by the way, your most important property. Right. And then the pursuit of happiness, which the uh, modern progressive left and even the church likes to say has to do with sort of this enlightenment, eat, drink and be merry, you know, materialistic. Uh, and that is not at all what the founders meant by that phrase. What they meant was pursuing God as your conscience dictates. And uh, I have all the quotes. I have a whole chapter on that. Chapter seven is the pursuit of happiness because it's such an important topic. So they they define what the theology is, basically, that they're staking their whole action. You know, the action was separating from England. And mm -hmm. they're saying, this is what God has given us as a theology. Then they state their case. You know, here are all the reasons why the king and the British government is uh, governing immorally. At the end of the day, that's the operative principle. When you have a governing authority that's abusing its people and governing immorally, they forfeit their God-given right to rule over you. And that is what the founders were claiming. And then the last paragraph is really incredible. The first they appeal, appealing to the supreme ruler of the universe for the rectitude of our intentions, which means truthfulness of our intentions. And then the last sentence, we mutually pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. So Roger, what they were doing, it was a four-step process there. They were acknowledging God. They were appealing to God for help. Mm -hmm. They were committing to it in that last sentence. And then they signed the document, which meant treason. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, they declared it, which is all the steps that you have to take if you are making a covenant before God, which is what the founders did, which is why they were successful. So we need to get back to that covenant is the gist of the book. I love this title, Rediscovering the American Covenant, The Roadmap to Restore America by Mark Burrell, who's my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. Mark, I, I, the, such a pithy, I mean, I don't know how you got as much information into three and a half minutes there as you did, but it was so clear and easy to follow. And at the same time, just because it's simple doesn't necessarily mean it's easy because do you get the sense that in our modern way of the vernacular of the day, whether Christian or unbeliever alike, we've in our heart, we're thinking we're a Christian nation, biblical principles, because we're thinking of the Declaration of Independence. But then in our minds, it's like, that's unconstitutional. And whenever we find a problem, we start reverting back and forth. It seems like there's this uh, uh, this paradox, if you will, uh, where people kind of confuse the two documents. Talk about what, what your experience has been in that regard. Well, this, this is exactly what's happening. So if you look at, you know, how did we get to the point where we have all this confusion? And this is chapter one in the book, by the way. It's entitled State of the Union, you know, forgetting your covenant. And what's happened is, is we've slowly removed all references to the moral law, the Ten Commandments, which used to be posted in every schoolroom, mm -hmm. in every courtroom. And, and why? Because it's the basis of, first, our individual behavior. Second, it should show us, you know, as Christians, and I think your audience is Christian, mostly Christian, it shows us that we can't measure up. So it should drive us to the foot of the cross. Amen. It tells us how we should try and live as individuals. And then fourth, and this is the part the church misses, it's a, it's a standard, it's a legal standard. Any laws that are passed by a governing authority have to be in harmony with the moral law, or they're simply not valid. I mean, mm. I mean it's like mm. passing a law outlawing gravity. <laughs> right. It's just not the way nature works. And the same is true, for instance, with this Respect for Marriage Act that was passed recently, ironically named, right? Because yes, right. it respects God's institution. If this was man's institution, we could change it, right? But it's not. And so uh, that's an example of, of what happens when you ignore the moral law and remove it, which, which happened, by the way, as a result of a 1947 ruling, which is where separation of church and state came from. And then in the early 60s, they ruled unconstitutional, having the prayer in school and then Bible reading in school. And then it all just, uh, you know, was a domino effect at that point. It's interesting, as you were describing the the, lapse, the lack of, the absence of prayer in school and, and et cetera, and thinking about this, uh, I think it's Davis, uh, Utah, a school district that actually had the audacity to take a piece of legislation that was written to prevent the spread of pornography and pedophilia and things like that showing up in their 
classrooms and in their libraries. And one parent said, well, then you better take the Bible out too, because it mentions all those types of things. I thought, oh, somebody, somebody's lacking discernment. But this is kind of where we are. That's kind of the civil versus the uh, religious, if you will. We always hear about civil versus criminal courts. But what you're talking about here, too, is, I mean, there is a civil government that is ordained by God that is basically designed to keep us from killing each other. And, um, you know, it's it's just kind of the bare bones. The, you, one of the examples you have in your book, Rediscovering the American Covenant, is using Israel as an example. Talk about what you mean by that. Yeah, so if I just skip through the chronology of the Bible here, in Genesis 9, 1 through, Genesis 9, 1 through 6, you learn what God demands of nations, what's he, what he desires for nations, which is that they are fruitful, increase in number, mm-hmm. build the earth, and govern justly. It's that simple. And so, Roger, from that point forward in the Bible, one of the questions to ask is, well, how do the nations do? But you, one might ask, well, that's not a whole lot of information. You know, how do I start a nation mm-hmm. and how do I govern justly? And so we get that information through the example of Israel where in Exodus, about 19 through 24, basically, is where Moses came down, and he basically brokered the covenant. We refer to it as the Mosaic Covenant, but it was Mm -hmm. really Israel's national founding covenant. That's what it was. And so from there, you get those four things I mentioned, acknowledge, appeal, commit, and declare. And then later on, the rest of Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, and uh, you get the other information, which is how to govern justly. And so I have a chapter, the chapter two and three really have to do with where did government come from? Chapter three is I tease out seven principles for how to, to govern justly. Again, looking at the, the nation of Israel. And then in chapter five, I, I make the hard connection like I did a moment ago to applying the process for establishing a nation to the American family and showing they followed the template to, the, I mean, the, the founders, were far from enlightened deists. They were mm-hmm. theological heavyweights and they followed the template. And I'm convinced, Roger, this is the only reason they were successful. You know, we forget England was the global superpower. And here you have a disjointed group of colonies who were, you know, barely united. And, and yet uh, God enabled them to successfully separate and become the nation that we've become. Unfortunately, we've declined in the last 50 years. But but that pattern for starting a nation and governing justly, that's available to any nation. And that's the point that I make in the book. The book is called Rediscovering the American Covenant, The Roadmap to Restore America. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Mark Burrell is my guest. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash wilsonfinancial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good to have Mark Burrell with us today here on the program. Mark is the author of the book, Rediscovering the American Covenant, The Roadmap to Restore America. How do we do this without biblical values? Uh, The answer, of course, rhetorically is we can't. It takes America readopting biblical values. And Mark's book gives us the blueprint for doing so. We've got one copy to give away. The link is up at thebottomlineshow.com, 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, Mark Burrell, the author of the book called The Roadmap to the American Covenant. Um, this is a, uh, it's a, it's a powerful book. It really is uh, a, a rediscovering the American Covenant, excuse me, The Roadmap to Restore America. It's encouraging because it really does put fresh light on biblical principles for civil government and the citizenship duty that all of us as Christians have in our own communities. 
these principles, I mean, of course, are taken directly from the Bible, but then you kind of lay them over the way the Declaration of Independence was written, and you begin to realize, hey, wait a minute. Yes, we do have a biblical foundation. Yes, we are a Christian nation in terms of the structure of what was proposed on July 4th, 1776. Now, you have to look at the Constitution and the Civil War and segregation and all those different things that say, wait a minute, the biblical worldview was fighting its way uh, to stay alive and stay relevant. But now that we've reached this point where sexual uh, proclivities have become a religion for people and the environment's become a religion for people. Is there a way we can rediscover this American covenant that was first proposed on July 4th, 1776? Mark Burrell says we can, and he writes about it in his new book called Rediscovering the American Covenant, Roadmap to Restore America. The link is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We do have a copy of the book to give away at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, my conversation with Mark Burrell continues, talking about rediscovering the American covenant this 4th of July. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You've been in an accident, and the worst thing you can do is to wait to contact Stephanie at Cover Law. Stephanie frequently talks to people who waited too long to seek help with their cases or tried to handle them on their own, and by then, it's too late. Family and friends mean well, but they can give truly bad advice. Often even trusted advisors will try and convince you to wait for more compensation. Stephanie knows the insurance companies want you to wait. They don't want you to file police reports, and they don't want you to reach out to Stephanie at Cover Law. That's because Stephanie is keenly aware of the tactics they use and why. She spent 20 years litigating for insurance companies and knows the strategy they will use to minimize their liability and your awarded amount. Insurance companies are for profit. They don't share Stephanie's Christian values, and typically they won't be fair to you. Don't deny yourself the ability to get better. Go with a proven expert in the field of personal injury and contact Cover Law at kbrightradio.com C-O-V-E-R today. Mark Burrell is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. His brand new book is called Rediscovering the American Covenant, Roadmap to Restore America. It's outstanding. Nothing but five-star reviews online, and we've got a copy linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. Mark, during the break, I was uh, asking about your your theological training and where you speak and you know what churches are having you and everything, and you dropped a lot of wisdom on me, <laughs> which I'd love for you to share with our listeners, because there's a very methodical approach to the way that you are presenting these deep theological truths. Talk about your background, if you would. Yeah, so uh, during the break, I was sharing that uh, I've got almost 40 years. I'm in my 40th year as an engineer working wow. for a uh, major corporation, and I do a lot of process development, technical engineering, program management kinds of stuff that, you know, dabbling all around the technical side of mm-hmm. uh, uh, technology and processes. And, and you know, I, I just love studying nature. And this is mm-hmm. one of the realizations I've had is, uh, you know, there's this saying, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we do that, I believe by studying what he's created, both yes. the physical world and the moral world. Yes. And we're talking with the book really about the moral world because it has to do with how we get along. But as an engineer, <clears throat> I'm really fascinated and uh, love science and how things work. And and so I, I took that approach to this, uh, to this particular question. And the other uh, piece was I was really fortunate in my 20s. Uh, I had a mentor come along. It's actually a mentoring couple. It mm. came along in our lives at just the right time. Because you mentioned I grew up in an Episcopal church. We didn't learn anything. <laughs> so I'm an, I'm an engineer, has a lot of questions and uh, no answers. And so mm. God was mm. a couple. And this guy, who's one of the best teachers I've ever heard, within 15 minutes of meeting him, he's we're talking about theology. And I said, I just have all these questions. And he said, well, you just need systematic theology. I'll take you through Mm-hmm. And so he gave me a, a reading list, and uh, I went to university the old-fashioned way, spending a lot of time with him. Mm-hmm. Systematic theology is, like, perfect for the engineering mind. Yes, yes. He looks at the Bible like a database, and so you just got to mine the data and try and get to the answers. Mm-hmm. 
It's amazing to me the number of people in some of the mainline denominations, and I won't mention them offhand because there are some people who listen to our program who are part of those mainline denominations, who don't see the Bible as inerrant, so therefore it becomes refutable, therefore it becomes very uh, easy to challenge, and then it's, well, we put a overly... Uh, overly heavy reliance on the church or on, you know, a, a structure, a system, this, that, and the other thing. And as you are proving to us, Mark Burrell, that you can look at biblical truths and say, hey, it's all right here. We just have to go through systematically and put it together. And in the same way, the fact that your book, Rediscovering the American Covenant, helps us as Christians to see ourselves in this whole role where the founders got it right but the framers appeared to have a little political influence. I mean, in terms of what the Constitution showed up with, because there were things that I know, I mean, you could you could see it, you could feel it in the Declaration of Independence. There are things that weren't supposed to be, you know, legal 12 years later that wound up being legal. Of course, we're talking about slavery and, you know, some other types of things that we've had to work out here uh, with fear and trembling here in this culture. You've got a chapter in the book, Rediscovering the American Covenant on Christian Citizenship, and I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit, because I think there are, if you talk to a hundred different bottom line listeners, you would get a hundred different definitions of what Christian citizenship really means, especially for those of us here in the U.S. Yeah, before I jump into that, I'd also mention that I deal with all these questions in the book as well. Uh, there's a Q&A in the back. So slavery, the slavery issue, the three-fifths clause. If we have time, I'd love to talk about those. Sure. Uh, these, are, these are topics that come up and they almost are like Christians don't know how to answer them. Mm -hmm. and, uh, there's actually really good answers to these things. To answer your first question, though, which is, uh, I think, chapter nine of my book. Yeah. The short answer to citizenship is to follow the declaration. You know, so it means, first of all, really understand the law of nature and of nature is God. Again, that's short. That's how they talked about the law as known through a, a person's conscience and as revealed by God as the Ten Commandments in the Holy Bible. So really understand what those commandments mean and how you can uh, you know, build them into your life. No one's perfect. We're not saying that you have to be perfect. But right. uh, what I've learned, if you were to ask me, what's the one thing that you've learned in the 25 years you've been studying this? It would be the absolute importance of understanding the moral law because of those four things I said it drives uh, earlier in the show. And so live your life that way, attempt to govern your family that way. And uh, at a bare minimum, what I, the case I make in the book that every Christian ought to be voting in every election mm -hmm. and they ought to be voting their biblical values. And so the first value is, does the candidate that you're looking at, do they respect the moral law? You know, it comes, comes mm -hmm. back to that. Sure. And I, I think if you're honest, you know, you look at the progressive platform, which has now dominated the uh, Democratic Party. Yeah, they're against the moral law on nearly every count. And so how do you vote for someone who, you know, fundamentally rejects the basis of your faith, let alone the legal standard that that our civil leaders are supposed to be governing by? So there's more we could say, and there's a lot in that chapter, but be my encouragement for folks to, to think about. Some people are called and we ought to be encouraging and sending and supporting and praying for these people, just like we do the missions, uh, you know, board. The church is really good at supporting missions. The church is terrible at supporting people that are serving as best they can in a very difficult environment. So it doesn't take much. Just vote, support some candidates in your local area, get involved. If you feel called, if you've got gifts of wisdom and administration and knowledge, uh, maybe like if you're running your own business, mm -hmm. maybe you have the ability to run for school board. Mm -hmm. That's what we're called to do. Yeah, I, that's great counsel from Mark Burrell today here on The Bottom Line from his book, Rediscovering the American Covenant, Roadmap to Restore America. There's the link for the book at thebottomlineshow.com. I would be remiss if I didn't follow up with the question based on what you'd said earlier about the morality of, you know, the character of the candidates or the issues, you know, that are being debated. And of course, in 2024, it may it may not be a, it may be a moot point by the time we get around to election day, but there's been a lot of wringing of hands and consternation in the faith community about a guy like Donald Trump running for president, winning, uh, 
I think, governing better than any of us thought he would have during his four years in office, but now wanting a second chance. Without trying to get you to play political uh, pundit here, uh, Mark Burrell, how do you, what, what, what you apply here in Rediscovering the American Covenant, how should we look at a character like that who comes out of left field, you know, comes out and some people are saying, hey, it's a modern day Cyrus. And other people are saying, there's no way with my values I could support that person. What What, what is your take on that? So again, in the book, I lay out what are the principles for governing, what the, the covenant, the idea of governing, passing laws uh, that are in harmony with the moral law. Mm -hmm. and, and the job of a legislator or anyone in civil government is to govern as close to in harmony with the moral law as possible. I said govern, not mm. necessarily their moral life. Mm -hmm. So uh, if if you look at how Donald Trump governed, it, you could make the argument before 2016, I don't know how he's going to govern. You know, he's got a lot of baggage in his past. He's, mm -hmm. he's a bit like uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Mm. He reminds <laughs> me of him. And you know what? Nebuchadnezzar had some ups and downs, but God used him. Yeah. And uh, and so we're not voting for him to be our pastor. The question is, how will he govern? Mm. And if you look at what he did in, in the four years he was in office, especially in his support towards Israel mm -hmm. and the, the pro-life yes. victory. I mean, I don't know what more you could be asking for as evidence that he will govern pretty doggone close to the moral law and, and biblical ideas like defending Israel. Yeah. So yeah. I don't I didn't hesitate a bit to vote for him. We're not voting for him as our pastor. Right. Well, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, well, Mark, it's interesting insight, and I'm glad you shared it because I know that's something that a lot of our listeners wrestle with. You know, on the one hand, you know, what, why, why do I have apprehension, or why am I so, you know, enamored with? And I think your answer is is very. Uh, it's filled with grace and truth, and I, I appreciate you sharing that. Rediscovering the American Covenant: Roadmap to Restore America is the new book by Mark Burrell. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We just have a couple minutes left in our conversation, Mark, and and, and there are people who have been. You've been probably heard this a lot too. Um, why aren't pastors talking about X, Y, and Z? You know, we, we could get America back in this place if if only we were hearing more about it from the pulpit. Um, you have a chapter dedicated to the role of the church in this whole process here. Uh, you've kind of uh, kind of woven some of those principles in and out of our conversation, but I wonder if you take the final 60 to 90 seconds of our time together and talk about the role of the church in following this roadmap to restoring America. Yeah, so the first, uh, there's like three or four top reasons. One of the things they say is it interferes with evangelism. I have a whole chapter to rebut that. Mm -hmm. Actually, the Old Testament strategy for evangelism was to govern justly. It was mm -hmm. uh, Deuteronomy 4, and I talk about, it's great, I, I retell the story. Another one is, I honestly believe they have not been presented a clear, comprehensive theology on what does the Bible say about government. And, hmm. uh, and I, I talk about five things. I mentioned a bunch of them. You know, uh, what does God expect of nations? How does he expect us to govern? Yeah. How should Christians respond to just leadership? Well, R Romans 13 and 1 Timothy 2, that's if they're governing justly. But what do you do if they're not governing justly? Well, you look at Daniel and you look at the apostles. And, you know, I address those, the, those different issues I address in different places in the book because those are real objections. But I think the theology of uh, what does the Bible really say end to end on this? Uh, I tried to give the most clear theological answer. In fact, that's why I wrote the book. I didn't wake up and, and decide I want to write the book. I was, <laughs> And I thought, I don't see anyone presenting it this way. Maybe right. God's called me to write a book. And that was 10 years ago when I started. Mm. Wow. So, well, I'm grateful that you've done the work, that you've done the homework for us and have laid it out so uh, perfectly for us to be able to see more clearly uh, the role of God, the role of government, and the role of the church in the American uh, experiment, if you will, that is the American Covenant. Mark Burrell, the author of the brand new book called Rediscovering the American Covenant, Roadmap to Restore America. We have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Mark, great to get to know you. Thank you for the work in this book, and thanks for our conversation today here on The Bottom Line. Thanks for having me. Love to be back. Boy, sure enjoyed that conversation. Very timely resource, too, especially as we are heading into Fourth of July weekend. Mark Burrell, the author of Rediscovering the American Covenant, Roadmap to Restore America. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we do have a copy of the book to give away, 800-227-5278. 
800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we do have one copy of this outstanding book that we're giving away today. But I'll tell you what, if you give Crystal a call at 800-227-5278, there's a very strong possibility <laughs> that there might be something else in the prize bag that you could be a winner of as well. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Okay, which is the most important of the amendments in the U.S. Constitution? Remember, the we've gone. This is the progression. July fourth, seventeen seventy-six. We have the uh, uh, the Declaration of Independence. By the time seventeen eighty-seven rolls around, we adopt the Constitution. It's kind of like the Declaration of Independence, only not quite as good. And then we've ratified the Constitution and realized, wow, there's some glaring holes in there. And we wind up with what we call the Bill of Rights or the 10 First Amendments, uh, the first 10 amendments to the U.S. Constitution. Which one do you think is most important? I'll tell you which one I do, not only because it helps us as Christians, but it really does help all of society and to give you an example of what that looks like in action. That's all coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. My thanks again to Mark Burrell for joining me today here on The Bottom Line. Have a great conversation about his fascinating new book called Rediscovering the American Covenant, Roadmap to Restore America. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we do have a copy of the book to give away at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, before the break, I mentioned that I really feel as though that when you look at the Bill of Rights, if you look at the Constitution, if you look at uh, what really does make America, in fact, great, there is one of the amendments that actually does, I think, a better job of helping us understand that than any other. And the next story that we have here to talk about really kind of underscores that whole issue. And that is the... <laughs> You know, what happens when someone in your world or someone in the culture where you're at um, is wearing a piece of clothing that people find offensive? Have you ever seen those uh, those different uh, bumper stickers that people have that have the, uh, the different logos from all the world's major religions and they spell out the, world, the word coexist? You ever seen one of those before? It's interesting because when you look at all of the different uh, religions that are listed there, the ironic thing is that none of them can coexist in and of themselves. Each of them is so unique um, that it doesn't make sense. Like, for example, with if you do, uh, there's the Islamic crest or whatever. If someone is a devout Muslim who follows all the tenets of the Quran, what will happen is that they will get to the part of the Quran will say where it says death to the infidel and there's no way a Muslim who is truly devout can actually coexist with people who aren't Muslim because what invariably happens is those people wind up killing the people who disagree with their Islamic faith. So, you know, the idea that the uh, Muslim crowd can be part of the coexist crowd really doesn't m make any sense. Now, in all honesty... Um, 
the 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 idea that there is a uh, you know a, a, a possibility that all these religions could coexist is kind of a progressive fantasy. But at the same time, here's one place where they can actually coexist, and that's the United States of America. Because freedom of religion, which is guaranteed in the First Amendment, along with freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion allows that people can have different religions in the United States, and there is no national religion that everyone has to adhere to. In a place like Iran or Saudi Arabia, they are under Sharia law, which means that the majority of um, the the majority of people who live there are Muslim, but since they are, there's a majority Muslim. That every baby born in that country is Muslim. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so it's it's, just, it's really wild to see that happen. But here in the U.S., we do have freedom of speech, and we do have freedom of religion, and we do have the freedom to actually express our religious opinions even if people don't agree with them, even if they may be unpopular. Uh, earlier this year, a man was in the Mall of America in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's the largest indoor shopping mall in the world, actually. And he was uh, confronted by security guards because he was wearing a yellow T-shirt. And on the front of the T-shirt, it, um, it said, uh, Jesus is the only way. On the front... Um, well, it should, uh, let me get this straight. I'm sorry. It said, Jesus saves on the front. And on the back, it said, Jesus is the only way. And then there was the coexist logo that we've talked so much about, eight different religions. Let's see, O-E-X-I-S-T, seven different world religions. And the T is a cross, and it goes on from there. Apparently, um, with the coexist logo crossed out and Jesus is the only way on the back security guards approached the man and they said uh, basically you're you're offending people we've heard from many people numerous people there's a video that we'll put up at the bottom line show.com uh, that basically complained to the security guards so these are rent cops they're not necessarily police officers and according to one of the guards who's telling the man in the video Jesus is associated with religion and your message is offending people. Now, according to the, I mean, let's be fair about this. According to what was projected on the video, this guy, has, this is not his first run-in with uh, people at Mall of America. Apparently, he has been removed from the mall before for, quote-unquote, preaching the gospel. Now, this is his uh, allegation, not the the mall of america apparently a spokesperson for mall of america told the daily mail that a week prior to him showing up with the t-shirt in that incident he was issued a 24-hour trespass for soliciting guests now to their credit and i say this uh, cautiously to their credit the mall of america has a policy that forbids picketing demonstrating soliciting protesting or petitioning on the premises so if a street preacher shows up and starts preaching the gospel and they decide hey this is picketing or demonstrating or this soliciting as it were then yeah it's a violation of mall rules but it's interesting that they this time the security guard said look what you're doing is religious solicitation and we have a policy against that this is private property and we have our okay uh, that's fair that's absolutely fair but then when it came to the shirt, the uh, security guard said, yeah, well, we've had a lot of people who said they were offended by the shirt. Well, trust me, there's a lot of stuff I see in shopping malls that I'm offended by that I don't um, actually you know, ask them all to take action over. Maybe I should. I don't know. But here's what the offensive thing. The mall's policy disapproves of, quote, apparel that has obscene language, obscene gestures, or racial, religious, ethnic slurs that are likely to create a disturbance. Now, that part is problematic. That's very problematic. The, the policy of apparel that has obscene language, obscene gestures, I get that. Racial, ethnic, religious slurs, I get that. 
But when you determine that a guy wearing a shirt that says Jesus is the only way is quote unquote likely to create a disturbance and that's when you throw him out, that's where I would draw the line. But why then is the First Amendment so important in a case like this? People talk so much about freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, freedom of the press, freedom of speech. Why does the religious part of the First Amendment really trump every other part of it? I'll tell you about this coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. You have a couple moments left to get in on the drawing for the outstanding new book by Mark Burrell. And I'll tell you what, uh, this is a, it's a great resource to have, especially as we head into Independence Day, 4th of July, long weekend here. Uh, it's a brand new book by Mark called Rediscovering the American Covenant, The Roadmap to Restore America. With America being in a bit of decline, we can take a look at what the causes are, but then what we can do to reestablish the founding principles. And this is key. People will often talk about the Constitution and the framers, and this is what they intended, what they didn't intend. But the Christian nation part comes with the founders, and that goes to the Declaration of Independence, July 4th, 1776. Mark Burrell's book helped us go back to that part and to look at the biblical principles from the founders rather than the framers to see the blueprint for what makes America really great. Um, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Taking a look at this uh, story out of Mall of America, it actually happened earlier this year where a man was ordered to remove a Jesus is the way t-shirt. Now on the front of the shirt, basically it said, you know, just a simple message with regard to Jesus and salvation. And then the front of the Jesus save is on the front of the shirt and Jesus is the only way is on the back of the shirt. And then the coexist banner is on there and the coexist, you can see the pictures. We'll put them up at the bottom line show.com. His First Amendment rights have given freedom of religion, which means this guy could say, I'm a Christian and I'm a professing Christian and that is my religion and he has every right to express that, number one. Number two, freedom of speech says he can do this because he's not hurting anyone, he's not causing any really major disturbance. As a matter of fact, the only disturbance that we see is security guards who said, allegedly, people have been reporting to us that they're offended by this. Now, I would demand to know who these people are. I mean, we're seeing a lot of book banning uh, complications or people saying one parent complained and this book got banned and it's probably not just one person complaining in that case where it is banned but nonetheless but here's the deal freedom of religion if we get freedom of religion right in this country and we do not have a nationally established religion in the united states then everyone is free to practice the faith of their choice and that means that we are free to move about the country going into all the world and here in the u.s preaching the gospel and converting people hoping that the seed that we plant in their hearts, I mean, Scripture tells us at least one out of four of those seeds is going to come back and bear fruit. But if we don't have freedom of religion, remember a couple of administrations ago, they tried to change it to freedom of worship, which would limit it to only the house of worship you were in. Freedom of religion means wherever you go and whoever you are, whatever your religion is, gets to go with you wherever you go. Freedom of religion is worth fighting for. And oh, by the way, the U.S. had a very strong foreign policy from 2017 to 2021 when President Donald Trump used freedom of religion and religious liberty as the driving force in his foreign policy decisions as well. We've got a link for this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. I think you'll benefit from it. A KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. And Rabbi Schneider with Discovering the Jewish Jesus, which is coming up next. For those who remain on the network, we are at full strength this week. For the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, the guys join me coming up next as the bottom line continues.